This week, we talk about how Rick's getting customers via Instagram DMs and how startups can build a culture of celebrating wins even when there's just a solo founder. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. Tyler, what's up this week? I've been doing something cool with the uh, developers at Less Annoying CRM. Have you heard of the advent of code? The advent of code. What does advent mean? Uh... Something Christmas related. There, have, did you ever do an advent calendar, like when you were a kid or anything? I think so, but I didn't really pay attention to what the meaning was. I think there were just like little food things inside or like candies yeah, inside. Yeah, there's like little, little yeah. gifts every day of December leading up to Christmas. I, I think there's advent refers to something more meaningful than that that I'm not, I don't really know the story, but the advent of code is basically an advent calendar for coding challenges. So every day they give you like a little puzzle to work on and it's very cool. It's like this website that, it keeps track of, so it gives everybody the same problem, but with different inputs. So I, in theory, you could cheat and copy someone's code, but we all, we all end up with different answers, but solving the same question. And then you like put your answer in and it tracks how long did it take you to get, come up with the answer. And so we're doing it as a team and kind of in a non, not that competitive way, but sort of competing to see who can get the questions first. And we're all posting our solutions and reading the code and being like, oh, that's a cool way to handle it. So it's been a, a fun kind of team building exercise. What a, what a way, great way to trick your team into learning and getting better at skills and then also doing some team building at the same time. Yeah, well, except they tricked me into it. They, I had never heard of it. And they, I don't know what internet circles they're in, but they were all like, are you doing it this year? And I wasn't going to because I don't think I'm a good coder, but then I was like, okay, I'll do it. And it's actually been a lot of fun. Uh, it just highlights why coding, having a good software coding job can be so fun or programming job. It, it just, it's problem solving and problem solving mm-hmm. is like at the root of most fun games. And so, you know, it's basically getting paid to play a game. If you, if you position, if you like set things up the right way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We do this happy hour every Friday where at 5 PM, we all kind of just hang out on a, a Google Meet and some of us drink. And sometimes it goes kind of late and it was a lot of fun on last week on at 11 p.m. is when they uh, central time, which is where we are. They released the puzzle. So there were like six of us still on at 11 p.m. And three of us like pull out our laptops and are like, OK, time to start solving. And the other three were like, so what are we just sit- sitting here while you're solving your <laughs> coding challenge? Anyway, yeah, it's, it's very cool. I, I totally agree with what you're saying that in, in the best of times, coding is just playing a game. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, any other updates you have? Um, I've been working on stuff. Uh, I don't think we need to dive too deep into any of this, but just to give some updates. I mentioned a while back, we're doing a design fellowship at Lesson Wing CRM. So te- basically starting in January, we're going to bring uh, four or five, something like that, people to come in and learn how to do UI UX design. Um, I mentioned we were planning it. We finalized all the details. It's locked in. We started interviews. So come January, like 10 hours a week of my time is going to be teaching design, which is scary because I don't really know anything about design. <laughs> You're a great designer. Um, can can you, can I sign up for this? Uh, you can apply. <laughs> what no. are my chances of, of being like accepted given that I'm not in Missouri? Probably not very good, Rick. I'm sorry. Is it because I'd love to, it, I'd love be, to work on design with you? Is it because I'm white? 
We don't have it uh, with the coding fellowship. We it's specifically a diversity program. This one is not, but because it's an educational thing, not like a job, we have gotten a much more diverse group of people applying, which is awesome. Well, I want to know why I wouldn't be under consideration. What is it about me? I mean, the fact that you're not in St. Louis. That's the primary reason. Well, and I know you would never come work. I, if, if I'm being honest, this is like a long-term recruiting play, and I don't see you coming to work at Less Annoying CRM anytime soon. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell Am you Am I what. wrong? Well, I'd love to hire you, Rick. Oh, well, that's... $10 an hour. Take it or leave it. Let's take this uh, conversation offline and see where we end up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's going to be fun. I appreciate you saying I'm good at design, but all of my design knowledge is like self-taught practical. I, I've never taken a, taken a class in it, so I am a little nervous about teaching it to people, but we'll see. Are you going to use this as a forcing function to become more thoughtful about design and more of an expert, or are you going to just teach what you know? I'm mostly going to teach what I know. I am going to read up on, I think the big gap in my knowledge is how bigger companies do it. Um, like there's a real process and like, are you using the right terms? I think you, like you've said this about how I handle uh, financial modeling, that I'm kind of doing the right stuff, but I don't know any of the terms or anything like that. I think I'm kind of like that with design too. So I'm going to try to learn the right terms and, you know, what's a user story? Like I've never, I've never done user stories, but apparently that's how you're supposed to do it. So I'm going to try my best to follow industry norms here. Well, if you want to talk to some people about it, I at People Keep we went through a major sort of design roadblock, and we had I, I met a lot of designers over that period of time. I, I know a couple of people, one from the cre- a creative agency who's more of like a what I would call a manager of designers, which it would be an interesting perspective to get, and then one like super hardcore like. Comp- like career designer. So if you wanted to talk to people and get their perspectives, I'm happy to make introductions. Yeah, that would actually be great. Cause the, yeah, I might, I, even just an email just saying, what do you, <laughs> you know, give me the five steps of your design process or something would be really helpful. I'll, I'll reach out to you about that. Thank you. Um, and then the, the only other thing uh, I'll be quick here is uh, we've, I've been talking for a long time about appointment scheduling being a thing and we are finally, we have planned the first phase of it it's basically confirmed. One of our developers is starting it very soon. So I've been like on and off. Am I going to do it or not for years probably? And I feel like I'm, we're finally kind of committed and this thing's happening. What will be your contribution to this project? Is this something you're going to let your team run with or are you going to be a lead developer on it? I'm not going to develop. Um, I'm basically done coding in the main app because the other developers have... T- They've adopted so much new technology that I don't fully understand because I, I only put a few hours in a, a week, probably. Um, what I do still do is code not in the app. So like the marketing site, the admin pages, stuff like that. So I might work on, for example, when someone's scheduling an appointment and they're not using our app, I might do that part. But anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying mostly I'm just on the design and kind of project management side of things. Uh, I'm, I don't view myself as a coder so much anymore. How much of your design, going back to your design fellowship, is around ultimately replacing yourself with a good designer? (laughs) See, I've been thinking about this. I think this is the one job I don't want to replace myself. I love design. I I sort of miss coding, but I, as long as the code gets written, I don't think I care, did I do it or did someone else? I do think part of my secret sauce is design. Um, more so, I don't think I was differentiated as a programmer, but I think I am differentiated as a designer. But what I want to do is have someone who a compliments my weaknesses. I'm really bad at visual design. So like, I'm not good at making stuff look good, but I think I'm good at making it usable. 
So I'd like someone to come in and take the visual design off my plate. And then I'd like someone who can work on the stuff that's not like key strategic stuff. So we've got a list of like 20 little projects that someone's going to do over the next year. I have to design all that stuff. Plus, I have to work on this big appointment scheduling project. What I want is to say, I'm just working on appointment scheduling. That Those other 20 things are going to get designed by someone else. Very cool. Um, that Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome that you... It's kind of... It's the dream. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice uh, to... Th- I really should start thinking about this as I, before I start hiring people next year is what, what is the job that I want to protect for myself as mm-hmm. long as I can? I'm not sure what that is for me. It's so interesting. Cause I think everyone, if, if you think about the model of like all the startup advice out there, you, the startup advice is your job that you protect is CEO, but that assumes that you're one of these venture backed hockey stick growth companies we're a 19-person company. CEO is not a full-time job at a 19-person company. So yeah, it's it's weird to think. Like, I still need to do some individual contributor work. What's that going to be? What would your guess be that yours is? What I want it to be is coding and product, something related to the product. But 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 that's because I'm interested in learning it, not because I'm good at it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, well, that's great, though. Yeah. That's the perfect thing to delegate because it means you learn it, you put together a model, and you can set someone else up to succeed, but it's maybe not your long-term passion to stay there, and then you move on to the next thing. Does that does that sound like you? Yeah, I guess. Uh, I, just, I don't know. I, I Yeah. I, I, I really... It's clear when you ask that question and I go thinking that I haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about it. I also would guess that it's probably specific to the business like what what it was for me at people keep is probably different than what it would be here at like up ventures um, i don't know what though i i don't even want to even try to think about it right now because i think i just embarrassed myself can i just ask one more i i know you just said you don't want to think about it but let me ask one more question to you yes your background is sales is it not that i like talking to customers and I like talking to the market, I would say that I struggle with repetitive. Once something becomes repetitive, mm. in, in other words, once something becomes system systemizable, I don't know if that's a word. Um, mm-hmm. I like, I, I, I really enjoy the systematizing of that, but I do not like, I'm not, I'm not the best. I don't enjoy the button pushing. That's and a so, great constraint to know because I would say design never gets totally systematized, whereas sales and customer service do. So there's obviously more than those three things in the world, but that constraint right there, it narrows down. You're okay, probably better for you to be working on product than sales long term. Yeah, it's marketing product or or engineering mm-hmm. of some kind, and and I, if we just merge product and you know into one thing, it's like you know something within product could be something in engineering, it could be something in uh, you know design. It's probably not for me. I design something I want to know. The reason I want to know design is I want to know like how to evaluate good design so that I can properly manage designers uh, and hire good designers. But ask out of that, I, I, I could not. I, I don't want to be an expert in design. You're just not interested in it. Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, but but I would say the 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 product side of like figuring out how to solve the problem, which is like pre what I would call like pre design. Uh, mock-ups, those kinds of things. I love fig- like f- figuring out how to solve problems. We talked about this role in Less Knowing CRM for my brother, who's, he's the other co-founder. He does DevOps mostly, but we kind of have referred to him in the past as an internal consultant. 
which is just like, regardless of what's going on, if there's a hard problem to solve, he's really good at just stepping in and going back to first principles and solving it. Mm. Um, I wonder if maybe that's a role for you or it's, it's not a specific thing. It's just like, where am I needed? Where's the hardest problem that someone needs help with? Yeah, I would call myself like, I would call myself the job I want to protect is what's the hardest problem in the company. I want to go make that, I want to go break up that problem into different problems and get going on that. And then you know, go to the next one. Totally. Yeah. That's, that's helpful. Yeah. That's helpful to think about. Very um, cool. Do you, uh, do you, yeah, I was just thinking like one of the, one of the things I really did enjoy doing, but it, again, it becomes systematized is financial modeling. But I, I was thinking about this the other day. I think the only reason that I actually like financial modeling is because it's basically a form of counting your money. You're like, <laughs> do you, it, Counting money is fun. Like, oh, it's so much fun. I, I wish it was. I wish I didn't. Like, I kind of embarrassed to admit that. But you know, it's it's like, how often do you count your money at Less Knowing CRM? I I open the like what I call the cash flow spreadsheet literally every single day, probably multiple times a day. I, I mean, not just to literally count it, but something happens, and I want to go in and be like, oh, if we spent twenty thousand dollars on this next year, what does that do? And I just I go in, I plug it in, I'm like, okay, we're fine, and I close it or. You know, just little have little questions like that, but every single time I also look at it, I'm like, those numbers are big, and that's cool. <laughs> what if I we were talking about going on the Run with It po- a podcast before this episode re- uh, started recording, and I I feel like my idea for that uh, for an episode would be around account your money app. I feel like there is, there hasn't mm. been a good app built. F- for the purpose of making counting your money easy and fun. Mint.com does it in its own way. There's all these other like personal finance apps out there. But what if like you've designed an app around making it easy to count your money? Okay, this is a huge tangent, but l- let's dive in for just a second. This is related to a gripe that I've had about personal finance apps for a long time, which is understandably, I get why they're like this, but every personal finance app I've ever used is very, very focused on like day-to-day, can you afford this expense? And like, I can't say this without sounding like an asshole who's like overly privileged, but I don't care about the cost of the sandwich I bought for lunch. I kind of want to think about investments and like bigger picture stuff, which kind of, I would guess counting your money is a lot less fun if you don't have as much money as you want. So are you kind of saying, make a personal finance app for people who have like who are happy with their financial situation, basically. Yes, because they're the ones that are built currently are built for like more for budgeting. Yeah, they're, like they're glorified budgeting apps, and yeah, like you you have a system for budgeting. You don't need someone to help you with that. What you need, what you would like, is to know have a great place to see where your money's going and where where you might be able to get more money out of your money, and just to simply know how much money you have. I have a big problem every year. So we're we're running up to this because the year's about to end. Every year. I get a raise from less annoying CRM. And I have a rule for myself that 50% of the new post-tax income I put into savings. And the other 50% is like, you know, I can spend, I can donate, whatever I want to do with it. It's like surprisingly hard just to answer that question of like, how much money am I supposed, like following that rule, how much money am I supposed to be saving right now? Mm -hmm. Anyway, cool. Uh, yeah. Anything else on that? No, no. I just it was no. a complete tangent, tangent. But I do, I do like counting money, and maybe that's why I like the financial model. That's the observation. Um, I've got a couple updates uh, related to my marketing planning. So, if you've listened to the last several episodes, you probably noticed a man, some manic behavior by me in terms of I got to go plan marketing. I just need to let it come to me. I got to go plan marketing. I just let it come to me. Um, anyway, we Tyler helped sort that out uh, recently, and and 
my, my, my sole team member, Lena and I got really focused on, you know, from, for the next, for the last two weeks of open enrollment or last week of open enrollment, which runs through December 15th uh, for us, which is the time anyone can buy health insurance in the U S we decided we're just going to do outreach and we're going to try throw a bunch of noodles up against the wall and see what sticks. And, uh, one of the channels that we tried was actually Instagram, um, direct messaging. And so what, what Lena did was she identified a number of different target customers in Utah, uh, based on professions, uh, specifically hairstylists, you know, uh, Cosmeto- I guess the larger group is cosmetologists, which includes like nail salons, massage therapists, florists, local small business service providers like cleaning services. And she started reaching out to these people on Instagram with a with a very simple message, which is, uh, you know, basically, hey, we're here. Not not trying to sell anything. It's going wonderfully. We've already had two signups uh, that went all the way through the process. Made has made Leg Up Health the agent all online wow. and then started shopping for 2021 and they're just delighted to have help because they've been doing it on their own. That's incredible. How much, how much work, like how much have you helped them manually versus just them using your, your automated stuff? Zero manually, hundred percent automated. Um, yeah. So it's amazing. Yeah. So we went from cold outreach, uh, all the way through to an AOR agent of record, being acquired. And now like what, what, what needs to happen between now and the end of open enrollment is help them make a confident health insurance decision. But you know, that's, it's pretty cool to go from cold to client uh, because I've never really like had that happen unless I was doing it. Like having someone else be able to do that by reaching out to people. Is Lena doing a back and forth with them to get, or is it just like, here's one message and then wait. And eventually they come out the other end. My, what I, I, that's a good question. I don't have a, 100% 100% confident answer in that. But what I think is happening is there is back and forth around education, specifically around premium tax credits. So mm. most people, there are a lot of people out there who get premium tax credits, but don't understand how they work. And they don't understand where why they're only available in the marketplace versus when they go to an insurance company directly. And so they panic a little bit around whether they're going to keep that in the new year. So um, just by educating them on that and saying, we'll help you think through this, that's been so probably like- is that. Three Sorry. or four back and three or four back and forth, and then a, a link to sign up. Is that a part of the initial pitch? Because like that that sounds like a great insight that I would test out reaching out to people. Like, hey, I understand premium tax credits. You yeah, know, totally. Like, get help getting free money from the government. Yes. Hmm. Very cool. Well, congrats. I mean, I know it's just two people, but like, holy shit, who would have thought you can DM someone on Instagram and sell an insurance policy or whatever the terminology for what you do is. You cannot, you got to stop using the word sell. We don't sell, sell health uh, insurance policies. Broker and insurance no, policy. No, broker is another word for sales. Agent, become, become, an insurance become an agent policy. for someone. Become an agent for someone. I understand you have to worry about this. Your customers don't know the difference, right? You know that. Well, we want them to ultimately associate leg up health with no sales um, and that be a key differentiator. So it's important distinction that I'll continue to make when you, um, okay. when you assign us <laughs> When you break that differentiator for us. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Um, <laughs> cool. What else? The other big observation from our marketing outreach is uh, I did a couple of things that led to some relationships with insurance agents that don't do what we do. They they sell, they sell they do sell health insurance. Let me be very clear. They sell different types of health insurance, whether that's a group health insurance plan for a small business or a non, 
I don't want to say non-compliant, but non-ACA compliant, which is basically no, non-Obamacare policies uh, to cert, like certain niche groups. These people run through all kinds of people who either aren't a fit for their service or who, uh, you know, maybe one person in their comp- in the family wants their, their plan, but then they have these three other family members who need a marketplace plan. They're gold mines for referrals. And what I've learned is uh, we've gotten probably 10 of these this week, uh, 10 referrals from, from agents. Uh, and what, what I'm finding is the reason that they're so excited about leg up health is the, the average person that they refer to goes out of business within six months. They're like this insurance agent who is all excited, goes and develops mm. a relationship, says they're going to do this, and then they switch to professions six months later, drop out. So there's no stable serv- service provider like Leg Up Health out there that is bu- building a company and system around the, you know, the people that are like what I would call their, um, their outputs, the, the people that they can't serve. Why, why do they refer at all? Like if I'm some insurance agent, someone comes to me, I try to sell them a non-ACA plan, but they want an ACA one, whatever the situation is. Why not just be like, well, sorry, you're on your own. Like, what do they get out of referring someone to you? Uh, they look good. And they think like, so word of mouth back to them or something like that eventually. Yeah, word of mouth back to them. And then also, you know, they want referrals from that person. So yeah, they, they usually have gone through their pitch with that person and decided, Oh, this isn't a fit for you, but that person knows someone who might be a fit for their thing. So they want to do everything possible to like have a good reputation and good sort of like referability with that person. So taking care of them and the whole family is really important. And an introduction, uh, you know, that, that, that saves them time and makes them look good helps with that a lot. I mean, I'm I'm actually impressed that they do that. Like, that makes sense what you just said, but I feel like that's true for almost any business. If a customer comes to you, you're not a fit. What you should do is say, I'm going to put like three minutes of effort in and make sure you get connected with someone who is. That's what we do with CRM. If, if someone wants a feature, we'll be like, well, we don't have that, but Zoho does. But most businesses don't do that. I kind of didn't think that highly of other insurance agents. Like, what am I missing here? Uh well, first of all, I don't think this is normal. If there's a hundred <laughs> insurance agents in a room, there's probably ten percent, ten of them, you know, that do this. But they're the ones mm-hmm. that last last a long time, and those are the relationships. It's 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 a classic. Uh, it's a preto uh, preto principle where there's a small percentage of of these agents in these specialized niches who are in it for the long haul and playing the long game, and know that their brand and their reputation and their like their network is everything and this is a hole in their art in their quiver um mm-hmm. where you know they they would love to have someone fill it and we're, we're coming in and immediately we actually respond to their emails when they introduce someone stuff <laughs> like that like just showing wow. up um the the other thing that's kind of interesting is uh i think that there are a lot of these people so um, for example, this one one agent is a part of a company that does niche non ACA compliant plans. There are, he said, thirty five other agents just in Utah, just like him. And so, th- like he and he's, I, he says he sends ten referrals a month to his old guys. That's incredible. So what is what I'm hearing is you've got both a promising sales channel of DMing people on Instagram and a promising business development channel of partnering with these non-competitor insurance agents out there. That's a lot of progress since two weeks ago when you had neither of those. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I kind of, Lena and I were talking in Slack and we're like, oh, it's working. It's, this thing's working. 
we've, we've sort of, there's efficiencies to be driven across the board. Don't get me wrong, but we've mm-hmm. gone from cold to, to user sign up to client to open enrollment enrollment uh, several times now. And like a couple of people just signed up while I was actually telling that story. I have no idea where they came from. Um, no but it's really cool. Uh, yeah. That's we're, so cool. We're going to break a hundred users in the next week, which is pretty cool. I, I so like reminisce about that feeling of like every time someone signs up for a free trial, you get an email. And I mean, I still look at all of those emails, but I have them filtered into a different inbox now, but oh, what an amazing feeling. I'm yep. happy for you. <laughs> yeah. M- mine's a Slack channel. Um, and I'll probably, I'm, I'm getting close to where I need to just turn off the notifications because it's getting distracting, which is such a good feeling. Like I have to turn off the notifications of user signups because it's getting distracting. I kept them on way longer than you'd think. I still get an email every single time someone pays, which Cal- is, you know, happens 15 times a day. Like I get every single one and every time I'm like, fuck yeah, someone just paid us. <laughs> yeah, you, you, re- you do realize that's like a, an, a, a simple way of counting your money. Yeah, okay, I should have mentioned that and when we were talking about that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I think there's so and the, many the like emails different... <laughs> like how much did they pay? And so, you know, it's $15 a user. So someone will pay like $90 and I'll be like, oh yeah, that's, you know, however many users. You're just going one, two, three. It's yep. really fast. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. <laughs> I think there's all kinds of, uh, of money counting things that we do throughout the day that if someone could like identify and just like help people do that faster and more often and get the like vibes that you get from counting money. Like, yeah, it's a good product. The dopamine. The dopamine. Like, yeah. You can feel good all day if you just get one of these emails every 15 minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, third, I, one more thing. Um, I had my first random person come to Legup Health. I have no idea who, who I've never talked to this person and submit a referral. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but we launched a give 10, get 10. So if you refer someone to Legup Health, um, and they add a policy. They don't have to actually become a client or anything. Um, they, you know, they, you get $10 Amazon gift card. They get a $10 Amazon gift card. I got my first like online referral form for that. And I, it'll be interesting to see that happened yesterday. It'll be interesting to see if uh, it gets redeemed um, because uh, that, that was pretty cool too. So I just That's have awesome. a, I have a lot of seeds being net net. I've got a lot of seeds being planted. They're coming to fruition right around the deadline of open enrollment. Just like you said would happen. And, uh, you know, quick forecast, cause I, I know it's kind of interesting to talk about real dollars sometimes. I think we'll probably start the year somewhere between 15, it's a long range because there's a lot of stuff that could happen in the last next, uh, five days, but, uh, somewhere between 1500 is the, is the base case, uh, monthly recurring revenue and 3000 monthly recurring revenue to start January as a base. Wow. Yeah. That's, I know that like when we talked about this months ago, you said your goal was a certain number of users or something, but forgetting that. It sounds like you've got to be very happy with how the year's going to close out here, even if you hit the bottom of that, the 1500. Uh, ecstatic. It, it provides um, it more than covers expenses, makes us prof- you know, more than ramen profitable or whatever that, you know, that term is. Um, and we it doesn't can, pay your living expenses. That would be ramen yeah. profitable. Well, ramen, I thought, was like the cheap e- the cheap. Well, yeah. Okay. If, if yeah, you I change Rick's, your I didn't say Rick's, okay. Rick profitable. Um, <laughs> okay. It's really, it's, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's really sable, uh, sable profitable. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, so she, so, uh, but, but that, you know, we'll have, depending anywhere, once we hit $500, everything else is, a, you know, I'm not going to pay myself probably next year either. So that's a dollar that we could spend on marketing um, and just re or, or automation. Um, so, you know, we could have anywhere from a thousand to two thousand and two thousand five hundred bucks to 
reinvest into marketing experimentation starting in January. That's a healthy marketing budget. Like not not that long ago, I think two weeks ago, you said advertising at Google AdWords is off the table because you don't have the money for it. Like Google AdWords is on the table if you've got $2,000 a month to spend. Totally, totally. Um, where to spend it is the question, right? That's a question yeah. for another day. Um, the I also want to follow up with one question that you asked me last week that I didn't have an answer to. What You asked me, so when you go through it, when you're an entrepreneur and you're working on early stage business, you go through all these checkboxes. Uh, to sort of make sure your business model is validated. First, it's you know you validating the idea, right? And then you're validating the product to solve that idea. And then you're validating you know, how you're going to make money uh, selling that product. Then you're validating how to get people to you know buy that product. I've validated a lot of the stuff of the business model. The one area that needs to be validated still and probably won't be validated until like a year from now is how to scale the service costs of the business. And this comes into like the, there's sort of scale the costs. Like, and one of those is marketing costs. Like how do I, you know, customer acquisition costs? How do I, how much can I predictably pay to acquire a new customer? I feel pretty good about that based on some of the results we've seen this year. But until I start spending money to go acquire customers and seeing what happens, how long they stay, that sort of thing, it's going to be validated. But more importantly, this is a service business. It doesn't have uh, this simple like COGS, cost of goods sold, uh, that a typical SaaS business would have. So I've got a big, you know, salary portion of costs of goods sold that will be what I call a health insurance coach. The this is the position or the person or the people I should say who um, will will talk and, and you know with clients and users and help them make good decision, you know, health confident health insurance decisions. Um, and I my target is a fifty percent margin on uh, costs of goods sold or on, on a fifty percent gross margin. And I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if if I can pull that off. But uh, one thing I learned that you know I'm starting to realize is a coach can handle about 150 uh, you know, new enrollments, new clients each uh, open enrollment period, um, which is about 45 days. Um, and this was that assumes that it's their only focus. Um, so that's a lower number than I had previously assumed. I my original model was 400. Um, clients per coach. So what I'm realizing is um, in order for a coach to be able to handle 400 or even 300 clients, they're going to need to have a lot of existing clients um, uh, that are much lower maintenance than new clients. New clients take a lot of time. They take a lot. Okay. So a few questions here. The 150 uh, number, I assume you're just saying how many people are you dealing with and then multiplying that out. If you were doing it full time, how many could you handle? Okay. For, and then, that, it was like four a day. Okay. Of like new inbound people. It if you're working an eight hour day, it takes about two hours to kind of maybe not all at once, but spread out over the course of open enrollment, two hours per person. It's think? about it's about an hour per person. Um, but I I didn't want I wanted it to be half a full day for each person. So I so four four a day seems like a reasonable thing, adjusting for seasonality, um, and then you know leaving time for the stuff in between. Which it sounds like would be servicing existing customers. So it's 150 new customers and you hypothesis, this is your first year doing open enrollment, but probably next year, the people who are coming in this year will not take one hour. They might take 15 minutes or something like that. Yep. And and a lot of the things that I'm doing currently that take a lot of time, we can create how-to videos. There's a lot of systematization that can happen to increase this, but pretty confident that as we stand right now, 150 new clients per rep, which definitely doesn't accomplish a 50% gross margin, um, but has the potential to grow to doing that.
That that sounds great to me. Yeah. I think that um, I, I, n equals one. I've only done this once before, but but like nothing about less annoying CRM was viable a year in. Right, we were paying way too much to acquire customer. It took way too much customer service. And you go into it and say every single part of this is going to get optimized and improved. We're going to have brand, which is going to help. We're going to have longtime customers that are self serve more. I think, like, if you go on the indie hackers and stuff like that and see what other people say, everyone expects the numbers to work out from day one, and like that's just not how business works. I don't think. I'd actually like to get your opinion on this real quick, flying up a level. In effect, what I'm saying when I say 150 new enrollments, new clients, that's effectively like low case $60,000 in ARR that they're adding. So is that, I mean... That's great. Yeah, that's pretty great. I, now that I realize, like, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're adding 60K in ARR. They're probably 60K position. That's probably what they're making as a base salary. Yeah, so they're adding 60K and they're maintaining... Let's at the very least, if you count the 60K plus another 60 to 150, 200K, mm-hmm. I think you've got 50% right there. You don't even have to optimize anything. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but that assumes that, that, that we have the systems where they could handle this 150, you know, 150 enrollment, new enrollments plus maintain another 150, uh, you know, the existing clients. But this is also only six weeks a year. Right. Like if, if they had to do this every single day of the entire year, I'd be like, you know, you're, I still would be excited about this. Cause it's like, I think you can improve all these numbers, but can you get, can you just tell your people, you know what, you're working 60 hours a week for this six weeks. And then I'm going to give you two months of vacation. You've definitely got a model. If, if the 150 numbers, right, this sounds good to me. Totally. I think this is equivalent to this business is going to become very equivalent to like uh, a, a professor at a school where you know, you're working pretty much all nighters almost during the week, uh, during open enrollment, but you know, we're going to give you a couple, a couple of months off in the summer, um, paid, you know, and, uh, you're going to have a pretty cool, you know, a, a pretty cool balance, um, but actually get paid too. I, yeah, I, time will tell what the right model is, but the fact that you can make that much revenue, mostly just working six weeks a year, Oh, so much opportunity to come up with interesting jobs that no one else can offer. That's one of the things I kind of hate about Less Annoying CRM is we've got all these great employees. I want to go on a ski trip with them, and I can't because someone has to be on customer service every single day of, of the year. Like, you have, you, you could do so much interesting stuff here. We do have to be, we have to be available every day of the year, uh, just like you, but the there's a significant, what you don't have is a significant service difference between one month and another month, like yeah. the difference between December and November, like November, December timeframe and even January to a little bit compared with like June, June is dead. Yeah. At least I, at least that's what I think. So yeah, anyway. this could potentially be a $40,000 a year job and it's just not a full-time job. It's like, think about the lifestyle here. Like you can just spend so much, only work 10 hours a week, most of the year. And then it's a full-time job for a couple months. That's a whole other conversation around culture. And yeah, yeah, sure. th- that's going to be the hard thing is like, I think most, if you look at cultures that have tried to do this in the space, it's call center, churn and burn, and they've got much lower enrollment targets per coach. Um, they don't even call them coaches, they call them sales reps and yeah. commission based. And it's like, it's, it's, it's this not such great culture. So f- find I want to right talk match. about this because I yeah. think you could, I think you could make a great culture with this, but yeah, you're right. That's probably a different topic. <laughs> I'd love to talk about that sometime. Um, cool. anyway, that's all of my updates today. Uh, sorry for taking so long. 
No, it's all good. It's all interesting stuff. So uh, we've got a couple other topics to talk about. Hopefully we're at 35 minutes, so hopefully we can squeeze these both in. Uh, you want to start with talking about celebrations? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So I had a conversation with my buddy, Chase Murdoch. He owns a, a tailor shop called Taylor Cooperative um, here. He's a Startup to Last guy. He's still trying to figure out what Startup to Last is, but we, we meet we just started meeting on a monthly or regular cadence. It's not really set in stone, but had lunch with him this week. Um, yes, I was out. I wore a mask to the boo, table. Yeah. Boo. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, it was great catching up with him and he, he listens to our episodes and Chase, if you're listening right now, it's uh, hopefully uh, thank you for listening and hello. Um, but uh, he, he does a great job. So he, he, um, uh, he has a co-founder and they've been running this shop for, I think it's somewhere around four or five years now. And they're now creating a parent company called Dakota Group. And Dakota Group is basically going to be um, a way to take their framework that they applied to the tailor shop, which is really a local you know, retail business, and, and, and acquire, they're gonna, at Dakota Group, they're going to acquire other businesses similar to Taylor Cooperative, like similar model, and apply the model that they've applied to uh, the suit shop to other to these businesses they acquire, drive efficiencies. And uh, so, so he um, has a number of team members. They uh, every year um, at this time, I think he left. He leaves today. He and his co-founder go out to a, a destination. Um, they're going out to Steamboat this year, um, and then the rest of the team and their spouses joins them to, you know, basically, uh, you know, primary is to team build and and celebrate. Second, um, the second reason that they do it, which is really interesting, is a forcing, forcing function for planning. So each of the team members has to prepare a presentation for this annual event um, that's 100% paid by the company. And uh, it forces everyone prior to this event to sort of think through the upcoming year. And uh, and they have fun presenting it. And even the spouses are involved in the presentations, which kind of has this third effect of making the spouses feel part of it. Yeah, that's um, very cool. And uh, anyway, um, he told me like, it's something that he really spends a lot of time thinking about and he has a keynote that he does and he's, there are only five people. Like, it's not like this is a huge company, right? Like this is small. And I'm just, I was super impressed with that. And I realized, man, I don't even think about this stuff, much less act on it. Um, and I wanted to bring this topic to you and one ask, you know, what are you doing now as it regards to celebration? Um, and, and, and sort of combining that with annual planning, um, with, and making, and, and then also this sort of spouse function that, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then I, I, I want to kind of, once you, I want to ask some questions about that, and then maybe we can talk about what I should be doing at my stage or what you did at my stage to start building in the, the muscle memory to, to, to do this, make time for it and do it right. Yeah. Happy to talk about it. I, I, I'm, I guess, ahead of you by virtue of we had to do some stuff. This isn't exactly something I would say, like, I've done a great job of, but happy to talk about what I have done. So what have you um, done? What are you doing now? Yeah. So first of all, I don't think our, like, celebrations and cultural events are not really mixed with planning and that type of thing. That's not to say I think it's a bad idea. Um, we've just always kind of kept those things separate. So... Do you want to talk about both of those? <laughs> like understanding that I'm not combining them. I think it's an awesome idea to combine them together. I just haven't done that. Okay. Yeah. Tell me what you've done. Um, maybe how you accomplish both of those items or maybe all three. Mm-hmm. Like one bucket is team building, I think, which is why you do celebrations. The second mm-hmm. is um, is a forcing function for planning. And the third is 
spouse, spouse inclusion and relationship building and appreciation. Okay. So I'll start, I'm going to go backwards because it's increasingly easy to answer at the end. So we don't do any spouse inclusion stuff. Okay. I actually think that's one I don't exactly regret. I, I don't disagree with doing it, but that it says a lot about a culture if you do that, because like we hired a lot of young people, a lot of people who don't have spouses and they might feel excluded which isn't a bad, again, it's like, what do you want to have the culture of like, this is like a family and there's kids coming to company events. At our company events, several people are probably blackout drunk. So like, it's probably not a place that kids should be. Um, you know, like, I, I think you just have to decide what you want your culture to be. But ours is not like super family focused. Maybe that will change as we get older. And that's, it's probably also a geographical thing here, like Midwest culture down you know city culture is very different than utah mormon culture mm -hmm. and and so like there's you know people grow up faster here yeah yeah that's an interesting point um and i should i, I want to like give a disclaimer here uh, silicon valley type culture has a big problem with both alcohol partying sex all that stuff uh there is drinking at these parties we go very very far out of our way to make sure there's no pressure to there's lots of events that don't involve drinking. I don't want to give the impression like if you don't drink, you can't hang, but it is different. I, I think probably a typical Mormon living in Utah would not want to be in that space at all, probably. Totally, totally. And and just so everyone knows, Tyler is a lightweight, so you could, you could, <laughs> if, you, if you can you know, stomach a, a few beers, you can hang. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, this isn't, this is not a frat party. Um but yeah, so I think like figure out what you want to be. We we decided, I, I don't know how intentional it was, but I would make the decision again that like your personal life with your family is great. Well, we want to enable you to be happy there, but like they aren't employees here. We're not trying to involve them. I think it's a very cool idea to do that, but we haven't. Do, do you, does that sound like something you would want to do? Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm sort of thinking about this, but I, I do like the idea of having a spouse who feels like they can support their, they know enough and they feel involved enough and they, and they feel ownership enough to support their significant other. Mm -hmm. And, and on the hard days um, when things aren't going well, there's some value there that Chase was very clear about like where, like we're going to have some tough times because this is like, he's specifically talking about partners in this case where he expects to have a lot yeah. of partners and it's like, well, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, the other opportunity then is like do everything like, and I think you do a good job of this. The other way to address the spousal thing is just take really good care of your employees. So they never have those bad days. Um, and I think you do mm -hmm. a really good job of that. And maybe that's how you handle it. Yeah. And now that we're talking about it, I hadn't thought about it through this lens, but we do more probably for friends and spouses. It's like, it's more agnostic. Who is this person, but the people that are close to you. So when we do have a party, we try to say, invite, as many people as you know, to come to this party, basically. And like, I know a lot of my employees, friends, and they know less annoying ceremony. We have a job opening. Everyone's like, I've been to those parties. I want to go work there. Um, so I do think there's a lot to be said for building up trust for the people around you. I personally, now, now that I'm examining what I've done, it's more about your whole social group, not specifically your family. Yep. Cool. But yeah, inviting them to events. Now, I'm not going to fly all of my employees' friends to Steamboat, of course. But uh, if you're doing like a trip, it's got to be family, probably. Yeah. Okay, what was the next thing you said? You said, um, how do you do... Uh, there was planning. Uh, celebrations and planning. Yeah, so for planning, we do two things. One is, I like the idea of a forcing function and do it all at once because it feels like an event. But I also think effective planning needs to be like 
also need to have a component of always happening. And that's my job and your job to do that. So I am always planning. This podcast is one part of that. I do every week group brainstorming where I bring three random people from the company and whatever is on my mind, we talk about. So I feel like I'm constantly getting feedback from everyone at the company and they're involved in the planning. But then we do have that every once in a while thing where COVID has sort of messed this up. But normally Bracken, my co-founder, is in Boston. He's the only person not in St. Louis. Something like three-ish times a year, he'll fly to St. Louis and we make a whole week of it. Um, there is the celebration side. Like we normally have a big party while he's here. We go out and do karaoke as a company. We do something like that. But during the day when we're at work, you know, there's normally a full day where he and I, just the two of us, go deep on product. There's normally a full day where the partners, so the four original employees who are kind of, in a sense, the the, the have the most stake in the company. Um, we meet and talk about, it's almost like a board meeting sort of. So we kind of do a week long thing. I think we plan on four times a year. In reality, it's probably more like three. Um, that's our planning approach. What do you think about that? No, I like it. It sounds like you do dedicate time to having people f- focus on planning more substantially around, you know, than they normally do with deadlines, which create that forcing fu- deadlines or create the forcing function. And then you couple that with, things are different this week. We're going to, we're going to have a party. Um, Bracken's in town. You know, we're, we're going to have some excuse to go have some fun and celebrate. Yeah. And that's different. It's the same thing really that Chase is doing with his trip. It's just a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And a big part of it, I would love to do what he's doing, but I've kind of said the logistics of everybody leaving, I think would be really hard, especially, you know, a lot of people at my company are like in theater. If they're acting in a show, so like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I've got other things to do, right? <laughs> yeah, and I had the same reaction when he was telling me. It's like, I, I would have a hard time asking people to come to Steamboat. I don't know. It was like one of those things where it's like, uh, I don't know if I feel comfortable. Ask, that's a lot to ask. But he, he, you know, his, his particular people are like, it's, they've done it for several years. They look forward to it. It's something that Absolutely. everyone looks forward to. So you know, it kind of works out for them based on the people that they have involved and stage of life probably too. I think it comes down to expectations. If if when the next person you hire, if you're like, you know, once a year, every March, we're going to do this thing, they'll go into it like, great, this is built in. This was part of expectations. If instead you're like five years in, you have to come on this trip or you're fired, you know, that might not be received as well. Uh, yeah. So if it's baked into the expectations of the job um, that applies to every role, you know, yeah, this is what you sign up for when you work here. Oh, that's yeah, like a good why, point. Why, why did you start working here if you yeah, don't want to do so that? So it'd be hard for you, for example, to start doing a trip like this because it hasn't been baked in from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. but, you, but this whole Bracken thing has been. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I also feel much more comfortable asking the partner. I would have no problem saying to the partners, you all have way more upside in the business. You're coming on this retreat. But I wouldn't be comfortable doing that with other employees. And I, what's the cutoff between like who's kind of a very early like bought-in person versus who's more like a standard employee case by case basis, I guess, for every business. But it should be more than like there. You should probably end up with an inner circle that you can ask that of. But the whole company is a stretch, I think. Cool. Uh, the you know Lucid does this every year. They go to really? Bear, Bear Lake and I think June or July, which is a big lake up in you know, in the north of northern part of Utah. And they do it every year and it's been baked in from the very beginning. Um, yeah, that's cool. And it's, it's just something that you, like not going isn't an option. No spouses aren't invited to it though. 
Yeah. And they also do a lot of planning at that. So here's, uh, do you have anything else to share about what you did back in the early days? Um, I mean, we, we haven't really talked about the celebrations. Yeah. Go ahead. Celebrations. Yeah. Celebrations. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm probably bad at this. Like I'm, for example, a bad gift giver. I'm just not, I'm not, this isn't something that comes natural to to me. So as other people joined, they kind of took this over and have done a great job with it. What we do now is, so we've always celebrated big milestones. You can make up whatever you want as a milestone. If you want, there could be a milestone every other day. We set user count. That's our North Star metric. When we hit 100, which was just me and Bracken, 500, 1,000, whatever nice round numbers we want, just blowout celebration. Um, in the early days, that just meant going to a restaurant. But like now, for 10,000 users, we rented out like this cool venue and went to a really, really nice dinner with the company. And then we all showed up and all our friends were at the venue, that kind of thing. Those happen rarely. I think personally, the right cadence for that is every 12 to 18 months. Um, then between that, we probably have a couple, we have a holiday party every year. We do kind of a secret Santa type of thing. We do, I mean, just lots of, we do happy hours. We do board game nights. I think you just want to, our culture is have enough fun activities that people feel connected, but not like this is their primary social group, if that makes sense. And then right when people are getting bored, which in my opinion is about once a year, just blow it out and make them feel like this is this is special. And then they go back to the more sustainable thing after that. That's what we do. Cool. Um, that's helpful. And what, what did you do when you were first 100 users? Like, how did you celebrate your 100 user milestone? So our thing, I had this whiteboard. This was when I was in San Francisco. I had this whiteboard in my studio apartment. I mean, Bracken was in Boston. Oh, you got a whiteboard? What do you, what's the number? Do you have a, like one number that you put on that? I have three numbers. Three? What are they? Users, clients, employers. Awesome. So we just had one. We just had users. But I don't think three is too many. But Bracken was in Boston. I was in San Francisco. We couldn't really do much. But what we always did is I took a picture of it. I put it on Facebook. All my friends commented. And they were like, that's awesome. And like just anytime we hit a milestone with that number, it's like so minor but that that whiteboard got like embedded into the culture of the company. Like now in our big office, we still have that number written on the wall. And we even have rules around who gets to update it when. It has to go up by a certain amount. And like when a new employee starts, we make sure that they get to go update the number. Uh, this little, little things like that kind of that you do in the early days. Even, we didn't do this intentionally. It was a total accident, but it becomes like part of the culture of the company. Yeah, it's interesting. I... Uh this is why I want to talk to you about it. Cause I'm not, I'm probably worse than you at this stuff. Um, <laughs> if there is such a thing. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but yeah, I have, a, I mean, I have these whiteboards. Um, I, I guess I, what I'm taking from this is I just need to let myself be myself mm-hmm. and celebrate what, what matters to me. And that's happening right now. And I'm probably just not noticing it. And then, you know, when, you know, be more intentional about team building opportunities when I have more of a team, but I have a team right now and I can do something like there's no reason we can't go on a ski, a ski day to celebrate hundred users when we cross that. Do you think Lena is better at this than you? Cause the thing that helped me so much was as soon as I realized like, this isn't me, this mm. is, but I've hired people who are, who love doing this stuff and are great at it. Could you like, even if hopefully she's a long-term employee, but if, even if not, like, could she build some of your early cultural traditions? 
She's leaving it. Uh, she'll be done. Her term ends at de- uh, December 31st. So she'll be she's moving going on. Then. Going back, she's doing, she's doing some other stuff this uh, six months. Our, our agreement was through the end of the year. Um, and it, we haven't, I haven't even like approached her about st- sticking on. I, it was never even a consideration for me, but so yeah, I guess it's more of a celebration for me right now. And I have mm-hmm. clarity on that. And I guess the reason I brought it up was I wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing opportunities to build, you know, these, I don't know what you call them, but like habits that, yeah, that, uh, you know, and it sounds like I just need, I, I'm, because I'm thinking of it, I'm going to build them and I just need to let the natural stuff sort of rise up and, and, and make keep it simple. Final thought here. Uh, it's harder to do this when you don't have any employees, right? Because like, what is culture when you're just one person? In my experience, what happened with us is I developed these traditions with my friends. Like I would take all my friends out and personally buy them all dinner. And, you know, they're not going to say no to that. Uh, and we would have a party if when we hit like 50 users or whatever, that ended up trickling it. Like everyone at the company knows about San Francisco Shabu Nights. They've never been. They didn't even live in San Francisco when I was there. But they know that I went out with my friends when we hit a milestone and did Shabu. And then, actually, very cool, last year, they surprised me for my 10-year anniversary at the company with a Shabu night at the office. I remember this. That's a great idea, especially in this business where I'm, you know, my, my clients and users are in the backyard. Like, they're, they're neighbors. Mm-hmm. They are, some of them are friends. There's an opportunity for me to include the cult, like, have the culture be more than just leg up health people and my family and it could be friends and clients and users. I didn't even think of using customer. Yeah. Have a customer celebration when you hit a milestone. That's awesome. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. And, th- and it also served like none of my celebrations serve the purpose of getting customers engaged. They feel so much more involved. They're like, I'm a part of something big here. That's awesome. I love that idea. Cool. This is, I got what I needed out of this. I feel a lot, a lot less pressure to do it perfectly. I just need to do something and, uh, see if it works and then iterate. Cool. Well, uh, I'm glad we got where you wanted to go with it. Um, looks like we're running uh, up against time. So you want to sign us off here? Hey everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask first, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See you.